Wonderful. All righty. Get my other ear. I would, I would like to keep both my ears if I could. I'm getting, I've been grown fond of them these 70 years or so that I've had them. But uh, I believe you were at Volusia County Baptist Church at a missions conference when I was there at Book of Sears some years ago. And this is great, preacher. You filled up this side and had to spill over onto the other side in the back row. And I'm glad you're here. I apologize for my voice, although it's way better than it was. The doctors discovered I had a tumor on my vocal cords back in the summer. I was uh, required to go through radiation and chemotherapy. And the radiation kind of messes you up in an effort to fix you. And the doctor said... 75% of my patients recover 80 to 90% of their voice. I believe the other 25% become country singers. I'm, I'm not certain about that, but I think that's the deal. So I'm not there yet, but I'm making progress and thank the Lord for that. And uh, they tell me I sound like Batman. I had to look that up, but I, but I do think they're correct at that. Now, do you normally stand when you read the scripture? Do, what, do you, what do you normally do? What do you normally do? We, we, we'll stand. No, no, I, I don't care. I just do whatever the preacher does, as long as it's not illegal, immoral, unethical, or fattening. Well, three out of four is not bad, all right? <laughs> so uh, if it's all right, preacher, turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 8. And uh, i got some books and things on the table, so when you're looking about it, if there's time, I'll mention them afterwards, but I'd rather preach than advertise. So let us start with the Word of God. And uh, if it's okay, I would like to read three versions of our story tonight. Is that a problem? Well, the, the first version is in Matthew chapter 8. The second version is in Mark chapter 4. The third version is in Luke chapter 8, and they're all in your King James Bible. All right, we are right now. Mark chapter 8, verse 32. And when, or 23, excuse me, I have a little bit of dyslexia. I'm like the, uh, you hear about the insomniac, uh, dyslexic agnostic. He stayed up all night trying to find out if there really was a dog. <laughs> but anyway, um, I may be a little bit OCD too. You got me there? Uh, that's good. Well, uh, they, they, they've accused people of being OCD. That's better than being CDO. That's OCD in alphabetical order. So, Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. And when he, Jesus, was entered into a ship, his disciples followed him. Hey, there's a good idea. Disciples ought to follow Jesus. And behold, there rose a great tempest in the sea, and so much that the ship was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we perish. And he saith unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. But the men marveled, saying, What matter of man is this, that even the winds and the sea obey him? Mark chapter 4, verse 35, if you'd be kind to turn there. I appreciate you turning there. Thank you for that. And the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, let us pass over unto the other side. And when they'd sent away the multitude, they took him even as he was in the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there rose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? 
and they feared exceedingly. I'm always amused when I read that preacher. He tells them, why are you afraid? And the response is, to be afraid. And said one to another, what manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Luke chapter 8 and verse 22. I do apologize for reading so much Bible here in church. It came to pass on a certain day that he went into a ship with his disciples and he said unto them, let us go over to the other side of the lake. And they launched forth. But as they sailed, he fell asleep and there came down a storm of wind in the lake and they were filled with water and were in jeopardy. And they came to him and awoke him saying, master, master, we perish. But he rose and rebuked the wind and the raging of the water and they ceased and there was a calm. And he said unto them, where is your faith? And they, being afraid, wondered, saying one to another, What manner of man is this? For he commandeth even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Lord, I thank you for the privilege of being with Brother Aiken. What a wonderful opportunity to meet him and his sweet wife and see the work that you're using them to do at this good church. Thank you for the faithfulness of many people for many years. So that the Bible Baptist Church exists as it does today. Lord, I pray that you'd use me tonight to be a help to him to the people that have gathered an honor to you and that you would draw us to yourself and that this time would make us better servants for you. I ask you to bind the devil and those unclean spirits that serve him, keep them from removing from the soil of our heart the seed of your word. Help us to receive gladly what you have for us. We'll thank you for all you do in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to think about this storm. The disciples have obeyed the Lord Jesus Christ. They do exactly what he says, and they get in a boat, and no sooner they get in a boat than a terrible storm comes up. Now, wait a minute. I thought if you were following Jesus, if you're right with God, you'd never have any troubles. I saw that on the hooky pooky television station. <laughs> They said that if, that if I were what I needed to be spiritually, I would always have money. My family would always be healthy. I'd never have any problems. My dog wouldn't get fleas, especially if I sent some money into them. But here are disciples obeying the direct command of the Lord Jesus Christ and ending up into a storm. Why? I want you to think for a moment about the reason for the storm. I'm going to give you two reasons. You don't have to believe the first one. My favorite Bible commentator is John Phillips. He died as a member of Bobby Robertson's church and was buried there. Brilliant man, put himself under the authority of a man that never finished the eighth grade. John Phillips pointed out in the Gospel of Mark, the Bible tells us that the Lord Jesus spoke to the wind, or he rebuked the wind, but he spoke to the waves. And he said that word rebuke is almost always used in the New Testament of dealing with unclean spirits. And he postulated that the storm was inspired by Satan. Well, it makes sense. The devil's the prince of the power of the air. And we know he's the accuser of the brethren. He likes to cause trouble for God's people. We know what he did for Job. So I can't prove that, but I think it's likely the case. But the second reason you must believe the storm was not only inspired by Satan, it was instructive for the saints. Did you notice in each of our accounts at the end of the passage, the Bible says that when the Lord was able to make the wind and the waves stop, the disciples were astounded. They were astonished. They were amazed. What manner of man is this? Now, they knew the Lord Jesus could make blind people see and deaf people hear and lame people walk, and that he could cleanse lepers, but they were amazed that he could also control the very elements of the earth. Well, that's because he is the creator of the earth. By him, 
uh, was not anything made that was made. He's before all things. By him all things consist. Now, we say sometimes, well, I was going through that trial because the Lord was testing me to see how I would respond. Um, wrong. The Lord never has to find out anything. He already knows everything. When this storm was over, the Lord Jesus did not know one thing about the disciples that he had not known before, but they knew a whole lot more about him. Wow, look what he can do. Can I remind you, church, every trial, every difficulty, every hardship in life is designed to draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ, to teach you more of the greatness of your God, and to make you more aware of all that he can do. The reason for the storm, inspired by Satan, instructed for the saints. Notice the response to the storm. The disciples are scared. Now, the Jews generally were not seagoing people. Generally, they were land-loving people. This body of water, the Sea of Galilee, Lake of Gennesaret, Sea of Tiberias, same body of water. It's about eight miles wide, about 13 miles long. It's largely surrounded by mountains. And it was very common the wind would whip down those mountains that has etched gullies in them over the years. And a storm would come in an instant. Now, four of these disciples were very familiar with that body of water. Peter and Andrew, James and John were fishermen, made their living on that body of water. They were likely familiar with the ship in which they were in. It's probably very much like, if not identical to the one that they used when they were fishermen. But all of them are scared in this storm. It's a really bad storm. You may have heard Brother Chapel tell about going fishing in the Gulf of Mexico. His grandfather took a bunch of the family down, and a really bad storm came up, and the captain of the ship is fighting to get it through the waves. And his grandfather said, have you ever been in a storm this bad before? And he said, si, senor, but in a much bigger boat. <laughs> this is a bad storm. They're scared. <coughs> and Jesus is sleeping. Wow. A storm that frightens an experienced sailor. Disciples that Jesus has chosen out of all the people to be with him and to listen to him and to learn from him. And he's asleep. Does it ever seem to you that the Lord Jesus is sleeping when you're in a storm? And it looks to me like the Lord Jesus did it on purpose. In fact, I would suggest to you that everything our Lord did, does, is purposeful. <clears throat> now, I've had people sleep when I preach. I never rebuke them. I never say anything about it. I believe in the law of sowing and reaping. When I was in college, I worked hard to get through. And I would often get a few hours sleep a night as a night watchman. I worked at a mattress factory at the same time. And I perfected the art of putting a hymn book under my elbow, resting my chin on my fist, and sleeping in an erect position. So the law of sowing and reaping says I'm owed people sleeping while I preach. I did hear about one guy, the preacher had an old guy in the church, and he deliberately went to sleep every service, and the preacher got sick and tired of it. He said to his wife, you watch, I'm going to get him next week. He waited until the guy was sleeping real good, and he said, uh, all of you would like to go to heaven when you die, would you please raise your hand? And everybody except that guy raised their hand. And then he said, all of you would like to go to hell when you die, would you please stand up? The old man woke up, and he jumped to his feet. He looked around, he said, uh, Preacher, I don't know what it is we're voting on, but looks like you and me, the only ones for it. 
but I have never had anybody bring a pillow in, put it down on the pew, and lay down and go to sleep. And the Bible says Jesus was asleep on a pillow. Jesus is sleeping. Disciples are scared. Third response to the storm, the ship is safe. Now, the Bible says that the ship was covered. It says it was now full of water. Anybody own a boat? It's okay. I'm not preaching against it. Good. I've owned boats. I've known the two happiest days of a boat owner, the day I bought my boat and the day I sold my boat. And every boat is going to get a little water in it. If you've got a 16-foot aluminum fishing boat with a 25-horse motor on it, you've got a milk jug in there, and you bail it out sometimes. You've got a bigger boat, there's a design where the water will run under the floor, between the floor and the hull. It'll go to the back of the boat, and there's a thing called the bilge pump like a miniature sump pump that'll kick the water out. Every boat gets some water, but I don't know if hardly any boat. There may be one modern boat like a Boston whaler, but there's no boat in Bible times that's designed to operate, and very few, if any, today that'll operate full of water. It would sink. Any of those boats on Lake uh, the Sea of Galilee that were full of water would have sunk, but not this ship. You know why? Because Jesus is in this boat. Hey, you better be sure you're in the boat with Jesus. The ship is safe. The disciples are scared. The Lord Jesus is sleeping. But then I want you to notice a rebuke. We saw the reason for the storm, the response to the storm. Notice the rebuke to the storm. And the Lord Jesus rebukes the disciples about two things. Interesting what your preacher remembers from when I was uh, preaching the opening meetings at West Coast when he was there. He rebukes them about fear. And he rebukes them about faith. He says, why are you so afraid? Hey, what scares you? Running out of money? Your spouse leaving you? Your spouse staying with you? <laughs> Things that are happening in our society? Health issues? What scares you? Think about what keeps you up at night. What, what makes you nervous? What gnaws at the back of your mind? And here's the question the Lord Jesus asks you about that. Why? Well, well Brother Vladek, I've got a health issue. Yeah, well, well, so what? Well, I've got to go to the doctor. Well, then what? Well, they're going to run tests. Well, then what? Well, it may be something really serious. Well, well then what? Well, then they'll try to treat it. Well, then what? Well, then if they can't treat it, I'll die. Well, then what? Then what? Hey, let me help you. You're going to die. I'm going to die. It is appointed unto men once to die. After this, the judgment. Why are you so afraid? The Bible says God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. John Rice, great evangelist of a bygone era, founder of the sword of the Lord, had a guy come up to him one time, pointed a gun at his stomach and said, I'm going to blow your brains out. Okay, the gunman was not a biology major. And John Rice never flinched. He looked at that guy and said, you can't scare me with heaven. Yeah. Yeah. We found out I had cancer. I said to my wife, well, there's four things can happen. Uh, we found out I had a tumor and they had to, had to check and see if it was cancer. I said, maybe it won't be cancer. Maybe it'll be cancer and they can treat it. Maybe it'll be cancer and they have to take out my voice box, in which case my job serving God would be the same. My assignment would change, probably do more writing and less speaking. 
I would but I wound up with one of those little deals, you know, you've seen people have. And I don't know if anybody had had me preach in that condition or not, but I already had my first joke ready. I was said, if my mother had heard me speak like this, she would have said, how dare you talk to me in that tone of voice. <laughs> or I said, the worst thing happens, they can't fix it, and I die. And if I die, I go to heaven. The worst thing's the best thing. That's not a bad deal. There's a preacher named Monroe Parker. And a great old preacher. Monroe Parker <coughs> had a meeting in Kentucky years ago, back in the hills where the police didn't go. He got off the train, and the old pastor met him at the train station. He said, hurry, hurry, get in the car. There's going to be trouble. Dr. Parker got in the car, and the preacher said, the last evangelist came here. They shot him while he was in the pulpit, killed him. Said the same bullet that hit him went through his body, hit his wife at the piano, and killed her too. We had a Saturday night prayer meeting, and they were praying, Oh, God, don't let Dr. Parker die. Oh, God, please don't let Dr. Parker die. And Dr. Parker said, you can look this sermon up. It's called the 23rd Psalm. I had Harold Saitlin, Monroe Parker, and Bob Jones Jr. at our church in 1984 in the same meeting and asked Dr. Parker to preach that sermon on the 23rd Psalm. Dr. Saitlin preached on Mephibosheth. And Dr. Bob to preach out of the King James Bible, which he did anyway. And uh, Monroe Parker said you could hear his fervent amens intermingled with their prayers. It was a rough meeting. Tough guys. Or guys with other toughs stood in the back with their arms folded, six guns strapped to their side, daring the preacher to say anything they disagreed with. One night during the meeting, all those guys turned off the lights. They beat up the old pastor. They broke his glasses. They stole his fountain pen. When the lights came on, Dr. Parker had had all he could take. He was a very strong man physically. Monroe Parker played football, high school and college, in Thomasville, Alabama. And Dr. Parker used to do a headstand and then do push-ups. Try that when you get home. We'll know by the neck braces on Sunday who endeavored. Dr. Parker picked up the pulpit and he pushed it aside. And he said, you bunch of cowards. Beat up an old man in the dark, steal his fountain pen, break his glasses. He said, you guys think you're so tough going around with your six guns pointed at your heels. You better be careful. They might go off accidentally and blow your brains out. Biology was not widely taught in that era. And then he said this. Everybody's saying, oh, God, don't let Dr. Parker die. Oh, God, doctor, don't let Dr. Parker die. He said, you can't kill me. I'm going to live as long as God lives. Hey, so am I. And if you're a child of God, so are you. Why are you so afraid? And they were talking about faith. We misapprehend faith. We think faith is it'll be okay. God will take care of it. Everything's all right. Seemed to be people like that. But the preacher reminded us that the three evil children said, Our God, whom we serve, is able to deliver us from the burning, fiery furnace which thou hast prepared, and he will deliver us, O king. But the next three words out of their mouth were, But if not. Really? Yes. You sure? Abso sort of. <laughs> Faith's not the absence of doubt. Faith is obeying God in spite of your doubt. Faith is doing what God says, whether you're completely confident or not, you put your confidence in him and in his word, not in your emotions, not in your feelings, not in your ability to reason. Where is your faith? Interesting. 
Now, everybody has faith. The Lord Jesus said, where is it? Uh, how many drove here tonight in a vehicle, a car? How many came to a traffic signal where the light was green? Did that happen to anybody? It, it, I love your, your, your really fast red lights here in Florida. I, I believe people have stopped at intersections at red lights, met, got married, and had children before the light changed. I'm, I'm not sure, but I think that's happened. I write whole sermons at the red lights. But uh, you came to the green light, and I know what you did. You slowed way down. You looked both ways real carefully, and you gently eased through the intersection, right? No, you didn't. You just drove straight through. Green means go. Some of you saw it start to turn yellow and mashed down in the accelerator and slid through before the camera went off. And you had no idea who was in the, the streets coming either way. There could have been teenagers in those cars. But you had faith. The perfect strangers would stop at the light and you'd go through. Preacher, who made these pews? Who made these pews? Anybody know? Baby Cannon, you know who made these? No. Well, how much weight are they rated for? Well, you better check that out. I mean, you might come sit down and the pew break when you sit on it. Now, you're among friends. These are warm, friendly, loving people. They would help you just as soon as they took your picture and put it on Instagram. Then they would help you. <laughs> but you had faith. If the pew's here, it'll hold you up. You just came and sat down. Somebody came and plopped down. Everybody's got faith. Where's your faith? Is it in the amount of money you have in the bank? Is it in your ability to earn a living with your head or your hands? Is it in your spouse caring for you? Is it in the government, Medicare, Social Security? Is it in your pension? Where is your faith? The Bible says have faith in God. And the Bible says without faith, it is difficult to please God. Is that what it says? Without faith, it is what? impossible so here's a question what are you doing that requires faith it's impossible to please God if you don't have faith I asked the preacher on the phone here that I'm so glad my wife Chrissy is with me you should be glad too because I require adult supervision and uh, we were sitting together enjoying the sunshine and, uh, and I was talking to the preacher and he told me, he said, well, he said, God's been good to us. He's very, very positive. But he said, you know, he talked about some people who had moved away and some people taking other ministries and, and uh, other people needing to step up and some things are going on. Let me, let me just tell you what's probably going to happen. And if it wasn't in this circumstance, it'd be sooner or later anyway. The preacher's going to come and he's going to say, I believe the Lord wants me to ask you to teach a class, drive a bus, disciple a new convert, help in another ministry. And you're going to go, oh, no, 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 I couldn't do that. I can't speak in public every time I talk to my tank gets all tangled up. Ah, no, 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 I couldn't do that. Um, you know what that would require? Faith. I pastored the same church for 44 years. I really don't have much experience. I only pastored one church. A lot of people have been way more places than me. I just, I just pastored one church. 
And uh, I was busy. I traveled while I was pastoring every week and uh, put out a little paper called The Preacher's Page. We had a Christian school and a Bible Institute and a child care center and a bunch of stuff. And every, every once in a while, I'd get it figured out. Okay, do this on this day and this on this day and this on this day. And I push the schedule. It's all going to work out. And every time I got it figured out, it seemed the Lord come along and say, hey, I want you to do this too. I say, Lord, I just got that figured out. And he would say, as it were, yeah, you had it figured out. I don't want you walking by your figuring. I want you walking by faith. I ask you again, what are you doing that requires faith? When I stopped pastoring, I stopped getting paid. Didn't get a regular salary. My wife said, honey, have you figured out a budget? Now, I believe in budgets. The book Under Pressure, about a third of it is about money, how to get out of debt, 15 Bible principles about money. I've helped a lot of people get out of debt. She said, have you figured out a budget for us? I said, no. She said, why not? I said, if I had a budget, every church I went to, I'd wonder if they're going to help me meet my budget. And I don't need to go into church worrying about my budget. I need to go into church trying to be a blessing, trying to be a help. So here's the RB Willette money management system. Are you ready? If I preach somewhere and they give me money, I put it in the bank. If I get bills, I pay the bills. That's it. So how's it working? Well, as the optimist said, after following 18 of 20 stories, so far, so good. God's been good, just taking good care of us. Off the road eight weeks because of my treatments and, uh, and no problems. Never asked anybody for money. Never told anybody to pray that God would send us money. And uh, God took fabulous care of us. Everything was great. Your book's about fear. Your book's about faith. Where's your faith? So let me give you some reminders from this story, some lessons, some applications. Uh, first reminder is this. The devil can rock your boat, but he can't sink your ship. Yeah, he may send some winds down and the ship will bounce like this. But here's the second one. If Jesus is in your boat, you'll survive storms that would sink anybody else. We had a, an appointment December 19th, had a PET scan, and they put a camera down my nose and down, through my nose and down my throat, a scope, and they said there's no sign of cancer. Praise God. And uh, <coughs> I... I, I believe that God is in charge. I believe that he's going to make me sail safely to port. I think I'll probably live a while and preach a good while, but if I didn't, it'd be all right. I'm 70 years old. I got the three score and 10. I have nothing to complain about, and neither does anybody else. But I've learned along the way that no matter how troublesome and difficult life becomes, if you're in the boat with Jesus, you'll be all right. We used to sing when I was a little boy in junior church with Christ in the vessel. We can smile at the storm. We used to sing, Master, the tempest is raging. The billows are drawing now. And then we'd sing, no tempest can swallow the ship where lies the master of ocean and earth and skies. Devil can rock your boat, but he can't sink your ship. Jesus in the boat, you can survive storms that'll sink anybody else. Here's the next one. You can trust Jesus even when it seems he's asleep. 
as man. Jesus was not part God and part man. Those people that got all, all crazy about the blood of Christ saying that was the human part of Christ. He doesn't have a human part. He doesn't have a divine part. He's all God, all man at the same time. There are some behaviors that demonstrate his humanity and some behaviors that indicate his divinity. But it wasn't part God and part man. It's all God, all man at the same time. <coughs> and, and the Lord Jesus... As man was sleeping in the boat, but as God, he neither slumbers nor sleeps. It may not seem you're getting the answer as soon as you want it, but he knows what he's doing. Then I want you to notice this. Fear is normal, but it is never necessary. The psalmist said, what time I'm afraid I will trust in thee. But he said again, I'll trust and never be afraid. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a power and of love and of a sound mind. And here's the last one. It is sinful not to exercise faith. You've got a parking lot project. <coughs> Maybe the money's all there. Maybe it's all taken care of. Maybe it's not. But there'll be that project or some other project. And God will say, I want you to give this amount of money. And you say, what? Well, Lord, that pretty near wiped me out. There's other people who give that much and they wouldn't miss it. God isn't trying to get your money. He's trying to build your faith. Uh, I can't take that ministry preacher. I, I love you and I love the church and I want us to go forward. But I, I, I couldn't do that. Well, you probably couldn't. Unless God helped you. Did you know God often asks us to do the impossible? <laughs> Lord Jesus in the synagogue on the Sabbath day said to the man with a withered hand, stretch forth thine hand. He said to the man, been 38 years, unable to walk, rise, <coughs> take up thy bed and walk. <coughs> and it is only when in obedience to the instruction of our Savior we attempt the impossible that we see God do the impossible. He could have healed the, fan, the man's hand first. But first he said, stretch forth your hand. Then he made it whole. And so it is sinful not to exercise faith. What are you doing that requires faith? I've never been to a movie a movie house in my life. When I was a little boy growing up in Detroit, I was born in Greenville, South Carolina, and my dad ran the Detroit Rescue Mission. I was there for a good while. He ran it for 10 years, and then I went back and graduated from high school and college in Greenville. When I was a little boy, Christians didn't go to movies. If, if I was, when I was a boy in Detroit, if a, if a schoolmate of mine said he went to a movie, I just figured he wasn't saved. I wasn't being condemning as Christians didn't go to movies. Now, I know Christians do go to movies sometimes today. And to be fair, Hollywood is much cleaner now than it was when I was a little boy. But I read about this movie called Superman. Superman's faster than a speeding bullet and more powerful than a locomotive and able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. I knew about Superman. I'd read comic books when I was a kid about Superman. But I, I read about this movie. And said that in the movie, Superman went down into a burning building and rescued a guy. And he's flying, and they're way high, and they're going way fast. And the guy looks down, and the buildings look like they're made of Legos, and the people look like ants. And he gets nervous. He gets scared. And Superman gets upset. He said, hey, man, I didn't fly all the way down there, pull you out of a burning building just to drop you on the way home. I wonder if the Lord Jesus, 
I wonder if our Heavenly Father does not look at His children and sometimes say, Why are you so afraid? Where is your faith? I did not pull you out of the miry clay and lift you out of the pit and put your feet on a solid rock and put a new song in your mouth and establish your goings. I did not indwell you by my Spirit. I did not wash you in the blood of my Son. I did not write down your name in the Lamb's book of life in indelible ink just to drop you on the way home. Heavenly Father, would you speak to our hearts? Would you bless in this time of invitation? Would you guide me as I extend it? Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed, nobody looking around, please. I wonder, I wonder if God's spoken to you about fear. I wonder if he's spoken to you about faith. Who would say, Brother Willette, the Spirit of God's helping me about fear. I realize the Bible says it's not from God. I realize the psalmist told us, I will trust and never be afraid. God's dealt with me about it, and I, I want to respond obediently to him. Would you pray with me if you say that? Would you lift your hand up high where you're set? Yeah, God's talked to me about fears in my life that don't please him, that don't belong there. And I'm going to be honest about them and deal with them about them. Pray with me. If you say that, hold your hand up high. I'd like to include you in a prayer. Let me see it. I wonder who would say, God's dealt with me about the matter of faith. I'm not sure how I'd answer the question, what am I doing that requires faith? And maybe there's something God's already prompting you about, or maybe that he just wants you to submit to him now, and he'll tell you later what to do. But you say, Brother Willette, God's spoken to my heart about the matter of faith. You pray with me about that. If you say that, would you hold your hand up high? I'd like to include you in the prayer. I'm God's child. Heaven's my home. I want to be obedient to the Spirit of God as he speaks. Father, you know all of our hearts, and you know what you're doing in each of them. I pray that you'd have your way in these moments of invitation, and that there would be an obedient response to all that you do. Please do what we could never do. We give you all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? The music plays. If the Spirit of God has dealt with you and you need to do business with Him, I'd like to give you a moment to slip out of the seat, find a place at the altar to talk to Him. If you'd like to just make an altar out of your seat and talk to the Lord there, you can do that. That's all right. But be sure to talk to Him. Be sure to listen to what He says and then respond obediently.